Hey, good morning and um, uh, an extra early hour today, so thank you all for being here. I expect uh, um, some people feeling called to come to second service today. I don't know. That's my guess. It usually happens. And there might be someone that um, shows up and is wondering why everyone is leaving when they should be coming. That always happens as well. And uh, But uh, it's so nice to, um, I guess we gain an hour, lose an hour, whatever it is, but uh, it's nice to... Um, appreciate the time that we have um, as we think about these things um, and we worship together. You know, in the text today, it talks about how we should respond after we go through something difficult. After some suffering or trial, what should our response be? And there's two ways to respond, really. Uh, one way is a negative response. Um, and it is now turning away from God, turning away from people, uh, leading to a life of bitterness. And the other way, the correct way to respond when we go through something difficult, as we all of us have, is now to uh, walk in a certain way towards God. Right? And the text that we read points this out to us here. Um, and it talks about, boy, the way you ought to respond, it has to include forgiveness. It includes people. right? Forgiveness includes God. Uh, it says holiness. And then secondly, it includes ourselves, uh, the root of bitterness. Make sure that doesn't... Um, come upon us. And so we have to respond in this way. You know, I have a, a Facebook friend. He's, he was my college pastor for about a year, right? And uh, he's now in his 60s. And, um, you know, it's interesting because he had just retired as a pastor and he had taken up this job and he is now um, putting pictures and he talks about it. Uh, and, you know, his life after our, our, he was my college pastor years back and then uh, and on his ministry has always been somewhat difficult. You know, he's never had a, a regular kind of a um, a steady church ministry. It was always kind of difficult, and God was calling him to difficult parts um, of uh, you know to go and minister to, and so on and so forth. And so he had ended up retiring early, and now he works as a mailman, and he puts all these posts up about his job and his work as a mailman. But he is so grateful. Like, and he takes pictures. He goes, look at this beautiful neighborhood I get to, like, work in today. And he has pictures of the neighborhood. And, and he says, after work, oh, I'm, you know, I'm done with work. I'm going out to dinner with my wife. And life is so good. And he talks about all these things. And, uh, you know, wow, I was like, man, you know, maybe that's my retirement plan. Like, mailman, that, that's, but, you know, he could have um, just kind of disappeared in a way. But he comes out very publicly, and he's so grateful, and he, he talks about all the things God has given to him, even at this stage. And he says, I plan to work, you know, 10 years into my 70s, and I'm going to retire. And I can't, you know, he has all these plans, and he shares uh, openly about it. And it's refreshing to see that. And I say, man, he loves his work, and he's like, I'm at work today, and this is great, and I get this job, I get to live at this place. And he talks about that. Now, um, you might know someone like that, but it might be kind of an exception, even amongst pastors, it might be, I think it's an exception. Uh, if someone had now decades of life and they had given it and served and done things, they tried to do things for God and things, it didn't end the way that um, maybe they were hoping for, or humanly speaking, that in a successful way, you say, well, how would they respond? How difficult would that be? You know, there was an um, uh, essay written by Simone Whale. Simone Whale, and she had written an essay called The Love of God and Affliction. The love of God and affliction. And this is something you could Google and they'll have uh, this up. Uh, you could see a PDF of the article. But in the article, it talks about what the negative response to suffering looks like. 
So you go through something hard, you go through something difficult, and he says the negative way uh, Whale talks about is, she says, is the first thing that we do uh, is isolation. Uh, we don't want to talk to people, we don't want to see people, we sure don't want to hear people brag about how good their life is, and there's a sense of isolation, and how uh, this now, um, cutting off from the real world, from friends and fellowship, how that now leads to something worse, right? So you go through something difficult. And first, next thing you want to do is just you isolate yourself. The second thing that we see uh, that she mentions is the problem of self-absorption. Now, it makes it difficult when you are suffering to think of others, but now it becomes a habit. And all of a sudden, it's all about me. Can you pray for me? Can you think about me? What about my needs and me? And they don't understand me. These people are not sensitive to me. And the third um, problem that she mentions is a feeling of shame and condemnation. And the mind wanders to a place, maybe this happened because I didn't do this. And maybe this happened because I didn't do that. And there's a sense of shame. Maybe they think that this has happened because I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And so you can see this kind of cycle that happens. And then that leads to now anger or bitterness. Angry against God. I'm angry against people, against the world. Um, and then lastly is this factor that she mentions is this idea of now being complicit with the affliction. I allow the affliction to happen. I kind of feed it. Um, so you choose to stay miserable. I choose to let myself feel this way. And so th these are ways that we often respond um, that we shouldn't respond in, right? Uh, when we go through something difficult. But what do we know? Um, in last week's passage that we read in Hebrews chapter 12, you see in verse 10 and 11 that God allows us to go through this for our good, that God allows us to go through this and he now teaches us through this. this is, we're part of his sonship or, or it's a legitimate relationship we have. So we see this picture here um, that's mentioned. And since that is true, since God has allowed these things to happen and God is with us, since this is true, he starts with this therefore statement in our, in our text today, in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is laid may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He tells us in verse 12, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. Therefore. Since God is now allowing you to go through this, and since God is there for you through this, Therefore, hey, respond in the right way. It's here, he, um, there's a quote, right? Lifting the drooping hands and strengthening your weak knees. Drooping hands and weak knees. This idea comes, it's a quote from Isaiah 35, 3, right? And even in that text, it's interesting. In both texts here, um, we are able now, like to, to, to strengthen your hands, it means to get back to work. The weak knees that we have, it means get back, get ready to start walking, right? Living life. Walking is the idea of living, walking with God. Start getting ready to do this. Don't let it become lame in this way. Don't let it now become something that holds you back. And in both cases, uh, in Isaiah uh, 35 and in this text, both of it points to the truth because God is with you. So this isn't just something, an inner strength you find by yourself. This is because of what we have in the gospel, that we have this connection with God 
through Christ, and because he understands, and because he now is with us through this, hey, you can find strength. You can get back at it. You can get back to work. You can get back to doing the things that God wants you to do, and how important this is. And he says in verse 13, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Get to the point of healing. So yeah, you need time to find some healing. And let the healing happen. And this is what the text is telling us. So for when we become hurt, when we are now going through some difficult time and we need healing to heal properly, he points to these three things, right? Um, peace with others, uh, this idea of um, holiness before God, and thirdly, no root of bitterness within us. And all of that is the, the truth that uh, Wales' um, you know, essay was written on, I think. It, is, it just fits perfectly. Um, so first thing he says is you're going through something difficult. Someone has hurt you. Someone has harmed you. Someone has wronged you. They stole from you. They lied to you. They weren't there for you. Whatever it is, strive for peace, first of all, he says. So if you want to get healed... And you want your hands to be strengthened and your knees to be strengthened and you want to start being healed. He says now, strive for peace. You look at verse 14, strive for peace with everyone, it says, right? Strive for peace with everyone. So everyone includes all those who have hurt us, all those who have wronged you, those people that still owe you. Those people that, boy, you know, it's just you want to stay away from if you can. Whatever it is, he says, make peace, strive for peace with them. It's interesting that he doesn't say make peace or force it, but he says to strive for it. The word strive here is a strong word, eagerly pursue. It doesn't mean just casually let it happen on its own, but you make an effort for this. But it doesn't tell us that you have to make it happen. You have no control what the other party does. And often we think of uh, reconciliation or forgiveness. Uh, we think I'm responsible for the other person's party. And we often think because the other person we think is not going to respond in the way that uh, they ought to reciprocate in, I'm not even going to start this. Right? I'm going to go talk to this person. I know they're just going to tell me this or that or they're going to be stubborn. Why should I even initiate talking with them about this? But he says, you make the effort. You, you don't have to change them, but you make peace with them on your part. And this is such a, a strong uh, command here to strive for this. You know, in Romans 12, 18, Paul tells us this, right? Romans 12, 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, Paul writes this knowing some people are impossible, right? Uh, as far as it depends on me. And so, boy, if they owed me, you know, a hundred, whatever, but I owed them two, at least I'll pay the two back. If they said A, B, and C against me, in response, maybe I said A and B against them, at least I'll go and make peace on my end. And so this is the idea that whatever I can do, I will do it. But whatever I can't do, it's okay. 
right? In the rest of Romans 12, it talks about God's the one who's going to avenge. Don't worry about avenging yourself for them, right? He's the one who does this. But it says strive for peace. And so sometimes our pain comes from somebody, right? It is important for the Christians to strive for peace. You know, a lot of times we... Um, Go through something, a toxic person at work, a, a, a guilt-dumping parent that we had, or, or whatever it is that, that we've dealt with. And it's easy for us, as we deal with this, you hear this often, I hear this often, right? Is we now lump everyone together. And this is now where bitterness starts kicking in, but we lump all of them together. So, you know, I, I've talked to people, and they say, oh, all those people, right? All of them, they're all bad people, Right? Um, and they just lump them all together. And I've, I've talked to people, you know, I've talked to guys after a bad breakup, and they say things like, I'm done with women, right? These women are just bad, you know. They're just selfish and bad, and they're no good. Women are no good. So you mean 3.5 billion people are no good? Like, what about your mom or your sister? You know, you want to ask these things. But people say general things after they get hurt. I'm done dating women. I'm done, you know. Hey, we say things like that. Or I'm done with old people, right? Old people are always so grumpy and stubborn. All of them? I don't know if they all are. Um, Or I'm done with the church. It's filled with hypocrites. You, You got to meet every single person at the church and they're all hypocrites? Yeah, they're all hypocrites. You know every person in the church? Yeah, they're all hypocrites. You know, or we say something, you know, like, oh, that, you know, I'm never going to New York again. You know, I got robbed in New York. It's all bad over there. I mean, you know, we, we say things, I hate that part, or I hate this country. And we come to these, um, really, it's kind of childish conclusions. It says, learn to make peace. There's a story that was ran, an interview in Health Magazine years back. In June of 1973, uh, there was a lady, Marietta Jager. Marietta Jager and her husband and their five kids go camping um, in the Badlands uh, National Park. Uh, one of the five, their daughter, who is seven years old, uh, Susie, was kidnapped while they were camping. And the whole story goes, and she gets kidnapped. Uh, eventually, um, you know, the kidnapper calls, you know, the mom. Marietta and, you know, you know, is trying to get something from them and all of this. And they find and capture the kidnapper and the, he had killed her seven-year-old daughter. And you can't imagine uh, what that must have been like. And that's why they had this article about her. But one of the things she shares in, the, in an interview is after this had all happened, um, years later, she says she, and I quote, she felt uh, Marietta heard was God telling her, I don't want to feel this way. And... Uh, you know, and, and she felt, and she started wanting to now learn to forgive, right? Uh, this was the beginning of her commitment to releasing her anger and finding a path of forgiveness. So she tries to forgive. The kidnapper, um, you know, after he confesses, he ends up killing himself. And so, you know, justice isn't done, and there's all this pain, and she ends up trying to forgive him as the years go on. And this interview is being done at the home of that killer, the kidnapper's mother. Uh, Eleanor Huckert is her name. And the two moms had become friends. 
And there's a scene where the uh, magazine reporter, you know, as they're uh, doing the interview, they're sitting there and they're looking at scrapbooks of each other's children when they were little. And they're sharing the heartaches of what a mother went through. And she says at the end of this interview, if you remain vindictive, you give the offender another victim. Anger, hatred, resentment would have taken my life as surely as Susie's life was taken. And she becomes friends with the kidnapper's mother in this way. This isn't humanly possible, right? Because every human side in all of us says, I don't know, I, I couldn't do this. But this is something God allows us to happen in us. And so, hey, there's this idea um, of striving for peace. Whatever I can do, as far as it depends on me. I can't control the other party, but as far as it depends on me, I'm going to try to do this. Second thing it says in verse 14, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it tells us here to strive for peace with everyone and then to now focus on holiness. Without it, you can't see the Lord, it says. Um, so it's this vertical relationship that is focused on. So someone who is going through something difficult, someone who has gone through some trials in life, it is easy for them to now, and we know people like this, and we've all done this ourselves, where we rationalize, boy, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do something destructive. I know this isn't good for me. I know this is not what God wants, but I don't care. I'm just going to now go down this path. I already started. I already failed. And don't let your pain be your license to just sin. Don't put up a barrier between you and God. Oh, you know, now I just have an excuse. Since something bad happened to me, I'm just going to be a rebel and it's okay. No, God wants us to continue to live in the way that he wants. You know, this, it says in Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Of course, Christ makes us holy. Christ makes us blameless. But yet at the same time, we now struggle daily to live a holy life. And so if you are on that verge, man, life has been so tough. Things are not going so well. And if you say, boy, if things were going so well, maybe I would now live this way. But since, boy, this isn't happening and that's not going well, I'm just going to go fall off the deep end. Um, don't lose your relationship with God. And so this holiness here, first of all, we see this and we think, oh, it's just all about behavior. Like it's all about not, not doing certain things or talking a certain way or not using certain language or whatever it is. More than that, it's holiness. It's our connection to God. It's our relationship. So for holiness without no one will see God, which no one will see God without. And so don't cut this off when you need it the most. Don't isolate yourself from God because something bad has happened. Uh, don't say, I'll get back to church because, you know, when life gets better, it's been hard. I need to solve it myself. That's pride speaking. I need to fix all my problems, then I'll come and I'll go and see God. No, that's not when you come. But he loves us in this way. And so we seek out holiness. And the last thing that is so important. In verse 15, it speaks of this root of bitterness, right? 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Here, this idea of the grace of God here, um, not only is it talking about, yes, the salvation we get from God, but all the benefits of walking with God, right? Our daily benefits. And so what the, in the context here it's reading, it's not about losing your salvation because you've been so bad, but it's talking about not enjoying the benefits we have in God, the benefits of prayer, the benefits of um, having God's daily strength, the benefit of fellowship with the people of God, the benefit of now having faith and guidance. All these things are the graces of God given to us regularly. And the moment the root of bitterness find its way into our lives, what happens, right? The fruit of bitterness is born. It says it springs up, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It's interesting, right? Because it tells us it springs up. Roots, right? The root is unseen. But the fruit makes the root visible, right? What the root is about. You know, one of the commentators said this is bitterness, wherever it exists, extends its influence. Bitterness indeed always corrupts and spoils. So bitterness, the root of bitterness, you see, it's not something visible, tangible. It's not something that someone could say or someone could do. It's a condition of the heart. And this phrase here that's quoted from Deuteronomy 29, 17, it's, it's from the heart and now it springs up. The deep-seated anger will always show up. It always leaks out somewhere. All of a sudden at home, you know, something comes out or uh, someone very close at work and something comes out or the way we do things, you know, at work or the way we enjoy ourselves, whatever, it all comes out in this way. So the root of bitterness, we got to get to the root. You know, um, it's interesting when I was younger, I used to always catch... You know, my parents pulling the roots out from uh, the, the weeds out uh, by the root. And I remember them explaining, you got to pull it from the root. And they say, all right, now you guys go do the same and go pull the weeds out in our yard. And I would just kind of take the, you know, the leaves of it off. And they said, no, you got to get it from the root. And I thought, what is it with these old people and pulling plants and stuff? You know, like, what? why do they enjoy this so much? And now, you know what I catch myself doing all the time? I'm pulling roots out, like uh, weeds out from my yard. I'm walking around and my kids look at me like, they look at me like I'm kind of an animal grazing or something. They're like, oh, what's he doing? And I'm like, and I'm pulling it out, right? I got to get it from the root. I don't want it to be around in this way. Um, you know, so, uh, most of us have heard of um, Bethany Hamilton, right? The story when she was 13 years old. She was a rising surf star, and in Kauai, where she lived, she was out surfing with her uh, friend and her friend's father, and she gets attacked by a, a shark, gets her arm bitten off. And uh, she lost her left arm. And, uh, you know, even at that point, she talks about how God and surfing were like the two big things in her life. 
And it's interesting, I was reading up on her a little bit. I follow her on Instagram, and now she's a mom with two boys, and she still surfs, and, you know, very positive. Um, you know, within a month of the attack, um, she returned surfing. Within a month. Now, I think about this as a 13-year-old. You know, I, I, you, you would have bitterness against the sharks. I would have bitterness against the waters, the ocean, I have bitterness against surfing. I, bitter, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine, but she returns back out there. And in two years, she wins her first national title. Right? Um, and she writes now, and she shares, and she talks regularly, and even on her website, she tries to be a positive influence and point people to her faith in God. And one of the quotes she says recently and no, I'm not perfect, and yes, I have crazy hard days and times in my life, but I'm rooted in my faith and the truths of God. This is how I know that whatever huge life waves or challenges come my way, the Lord is with me and on my side. You know, I think about, when you think about bitterness, um, you, you know, the first person that comes to mind is Nelson Mandela, right? imprisoned as he fought for apartheid and uh, prison for so many decades. Um, but the image that most of us have of him um, as he became president of South Africa and uh, abolished apartheid, uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize and so on. If you've seen him on the news, it's him always smiling. Right? He was a man in his 70s and he was always smiling. In all his speeches in public, he was always smiling. Now, if there was a man that had every right to be bitter and angry, it would be him. Uh, as he spent his time at Robben Island, 1964 to 82, and Paulsmore Prison, 82 to 88, before he was finally released. Um, he was always, he comes out, he's always smiling. And one of the things that he said, and I love this quote by him, he says, as I walked out the door, this is him living, leaving prison, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And I want us to think about this today as people of faith, as people who have a trust and faith in God as we try our best to walk with God. And boy, life starts throwing things at us and people are disappointing us. And sometimes we even think and question God, God, why is this happening to me? Don't let your healing process go the wrong way. Don't go into isolation and rebellion and hatred and self-pity and all these things. But this opportunity for our hands to get strong and our knees now uh, to be strengthened so we could walk in this path of healing. And it happens with the people around me, everyone, the lovable and the unlovable. I'm going to try to make peace. It happens with our relationship with God. I'm going to live in holiness before God. I will still acknowledge him. I will still pray, and I will still trust, and I will still read, and I will still worship because my connection with God is that important. And it happens by us saying, I will pull this weed, the root of bitterness out. I will not let it sit and grow in me because that always produces something bad. And so we guard our hearts against it. And what we have in Christ, the love and the grace that is demonstrated by Christ on the cross, 
The gospel that we see of him living out towards us. What he went through. We say, God, God, I'm learning to be more like you. I'm learning to pray. I'm learning to follow. I'm learning not to harbor bitterness in this way. Teach me to be more Christ-like. And that is our prayer. That is my prayer for all of us, that we might live out this way. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, even for the trials in our lives because you are with us. Long as we have meaning behind it, God, we can get through anything. You are the meaning. And so um, some of us, Lord, all of us at one point or another, but some of us even now, we're going through some hard things in life. And Lord, we're just tempted to just withdraw and to sulk and to let the root of bitterness just spread in our hearts. But Lord, you call us to, to come back in fellowship, to come back in forgiveness, to not let this root of bitterness dwell, but to clear it out with the gospel message of Christ. And so we take that to heart today. God, some of us, uh, our hands and our knees, we're in the process of being healed to get back to you. And during this process, would you hold our hands? Would you strengthen our knees? Would you guide our steps and help us to follow you in the way that you want us to, God? Uh, We want you to be glorified through our lives and all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.